Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Uh, I'm going to be kind of taking you away from that passage to start for good reason. Um, let me begin by just saying this. The four, four of the best verses, at least from my point of view, the best verses in the Bible to explain the, the real relationship between God and men and angels are found in the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you. Just to put things into their place. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Speaking of Jesus, of course, the Son of God. Then he goes on saying, After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The way we relate to one another and to the angels and to God depends on our attitude about his family. Which, of course, okay, finds the firstborn son in the highest position of importance. God has made Jesus king over heaven and earth. All angels know this. All of them know this. All men should learn it. First point, um, you and I, we, we labor for Christ's kingdom with the angels and also with the saints of old, which you might not think about that. We are what they call retainers. That is kind of an archaic term. 
A retainer is a, is a servant who has been with the family a long time. A retainer is someone indebted to live and work for the good of the family. I think about, not to muddy this up with TV and movies, but I think about uh, Tom Hayden in The Godfather, who was a concierge of The Godfather and his family. Tom had been with them a long, long time. It was a great benefit to Tom to attend to the family. They cared for him, and he cared for them. A retainer invests himself in the family. And the family of which we are retainers, okay, is the family of God. And I'm not looking just between us. It's the family that has always existed. From eternity, eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has, singular, existed in triunity. It has always been a covenantal family before we ever came on the, on the scene. The family existed. Francis Turretin, if you ever want to look into this further and study the concept, he establishes it in three volumes of his Institutes of Elenctic Theology. And we, you and me, we are added as retainers to the family at our appropriate time in history. I think for me it happened about, if I can put a date on anything, sometimes I think we think we know when we became a Christian, but it's hard to tell. But I would say it was probably in 1982 that I became a retainer, a servant. Servant might be another name, vassal. You could almost use these words as synonyms. But all of us came into the family over the last 90 to 95 years. No one really goes beyond that. Margaret, are you, are you 95 or older? What's that? Not yet. Okay, so within 95 years, because they think she's our oldest member. 94 she is. Okay, thank you. Yet there are others who have a long time been part of the family, let's say business, right? The family business. Long before you and me and more more are going to come after we're gone. It makes sense that as participants in this household, God's household, we want to be faithful and we want to be effective for the Lord. But you also have to do this. You also have to appreciate there are other servants, other retainers. And you should never be too difficult on them. As Romans 14, 4 warns. One of the books I'm reading, okay, now we're going in a little different direction, but it all comes together. One of the books is called Transfiguration and Transformation. I thought, 
there's something about that title that makes me want to read it. I think there's something hidden here that I need to know. It's written by a, a fellow named Highwell R. Jones. And it's made me reflect, okay, on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember the story, right? Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up to the mountain to pray together. And before you know it, Jesus is shining. He, he's, he's been transfigured. That's where the word comes. Not only that, and, and his disciples, his three disciples are looking at him, but all, also there's two other people there shining alongside Jesus. It's, they're not angels. One was Moses and one was Elijah. They're saints of old. They had passed already. Elijah never passed. He was taken up by God. Never died. Moses died, and God took his body somehow. I can only imagine how his earthly disciples watching this with Moses and Elijah must have felt. You could say you had the the courts below alongside the courts above, right? Both exist, both existing. They saw these two guys in their physical bodies. They weren't spirits. Although their bodies were kind of spiritually imbued, they, they shined too, like Jesus's. But they weren't, they weren't just spirits, but men glorified, just like Jesus had become at that moment. Jesus was absolutely right, and we don't often think this this way. We think that we're in a better situation somehow. But God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Moses and Elijah continue to exist. These two glorified men... Oh, no, let me, before I get to that, what were these men doing with Jesus on the mountain? Right? Why did, why did they appear there? They were ministering. They were still retainers of the family. They were continuing to act as servants of the household. And they spoke to Jesus of his departure, which was soon to take place in Jerusalem. He was going to die. And they were there to talk to him about that. These two glorified men, they knew some things that the disciples didn't know. And here they were meeting with Jesus, still working, still working to serve God. Seeing them there, it should make you want to do all things for God here. You remember how Abraham, he once considered his servant. It's like his main servant, a guy named Eleazar. He considered him the most honorable and responsible man, that he was willing to turn over his whole household to Eleazar's care because he didn't think he was going to have his own children, Abraham at the time. That's the kind of retainer you and I should be for God's household. Eliezer was like a senior retainer. 
Yet God the Son, He's greater than Abraham. And those who live to serve His household should consider all of life a grand duty given by Him for Him. It makes no sense It makes no sense to build your kingdom for selfish purposes here when we've got Christ's kingdom to build. As David said, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Psalm 16.1. Second point, look. God wants to involve us. He is often tender about it, as in today's text with Joseph. God is very tender here. He knows our frame. We are weak, yet he is strong. It is enough to know he is for us and encourages us simply that we be willing to serve. There's the choice. God knows Joseph to be just and kind, according to verse 19. However, God also knows that he is accomplishing something not seen by any man before in history. And though Joseph is an eager servant, still God knows Joseph will need insight and assurance regarding Mary And that baby. So he sends an angel to assist a man in verse 20. Angels are retainers as well. Says there, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She had become pregnant by the Holy Spirit during her betrothal to Joseph. A betrothal is is similar to an engagement, but stronger, filled with extra stuff that they, they did. But once a man and woman agreed to be married, a period of time passed, maybe a year, but they were legal. You were legal religiously, civilly, but you yet, in this betrothal, did not cohabitate, live together. You did not consummate with each other. So Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed, both ready and willing to serve God together, new family. But when Mary is found to be pregnant, it's a cause for divorce. Her child, not his. They had not consummated the union, though on course. So Joseph had to take legal action to end 
the betrothal. He wanted to do it silently, not to shame her. He couldn't just go and find another girl. This was a betrothal. They were, in one sense, already married. Joseph tried to put my feet into his shoes. He likely concluded, and I think fairly, Mary's not the woman I thought she was. I thought I could trust her. She has other things going on in that heart and head of hers. He would have been disappointed, to say the least. Perhaps he was crushed by the news, heartbreak. Here, he, he was living for God, and he thought his wife was too. But she must have wavered between the kingdom of God and that of the world. No, Mary didn't do anything wrong. And we don't think poorly of Joseph, right? No man has been in his position before, I'll guarantee you. Your fiancé gets pregnant while you've been pure. There's only one conclusion. But God is doing something new. He's about to enter history on his terms. He is affecting change for the benefit of Of what? Of his whole household. The virgin birth is how his son becomes incarnate. The son takes on the body of a man. But he did it without sinful man's procreative act. No. God shows Mary, the favored one, a virgin, to carry his son. And the Lord will tell Mary and Joseph of his terms. And being righteous, they will quickly submit to them. Fourth point, and I don't get this. We're told the angel spoke to Joseph while in a dream with Joseph. I don't know how an angel can enter into someone's dream. Do you? Did the angel enter Joseph's head? Is that where dreams take place? Dreams have forever fascinated people. The ancient Egyptians, uh, for example, believed that the dream world, okay, when you had a dream, when you entered into a dream, it existed somewhere between you, a living person, and the other world. A world inhabited by deities and spirits. And so dreams were communications from these spirits or deities. 
in Scripture, I mean, there is got to be something to this, right? But in Scripture, we are told that God communicates to people in dreams. Not the only way, but in dreams. And you can find multiple instances. I'll just give you two. Genesis 23, it says, 20 verse 3, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. And he goes on. Genesis 30, verses 1 through 4, another instance. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the sleek, seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. What was going on? God was somehow speaking into his dream. So Joseph has this angel come to him in a dream. There are more instances I don't, I'm not of the opinion that we, that God necessarily communicates to us in dreams today. At least nothing completely binding as in Joseph's situation or Abimelech's or Pharaoh's and so on. However, today, scientific materialists They relegate dreams to the basement of humanism's house. They believe dreams are caused by a man's thought life and sometimes spicy food. That too is foolish. In any case, verse point five, it was a dream that the angel brought good news to John about both Mary and the child. Mary did not act on temptation and betray him. Wow, good. And the child, goodness. The child is the promised one who will save his people from their sins, Emmanuel. You might say the angel, okay, came as a witness in court to testify to Mary's virginity, He tells Joseph, the child in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He says, actually, the child, Joseph, son of David, it's almost like he's saying, "Um, do you hear what I'm calling you? Uh Uh-huh, wait for it. Joseph, son of David. We knew the promised son was to be in the line of David. So as the angel speaks to Joseph, he points out that little trinket of information reminds him he is one in the line of David himself. That this child who would be attributed to him historically or by his townspeople would certainly understand that Joseph was from the tribe of Judah, the line of David. 
He is the anticipated one, Joseph, the one promised in the garden, the seed and savior of mankind. No one other than God, the Son, was in Mary's body. Jesus was being knit together in his mother's womb. And it is a body, this, is, this was news to me at some point as I was growing up as a Christian. Now I know. It is a body which will never be unmade. It's, it's a body in which Jesus forever clothes himself. God remains incarnate. Today, Jesus maintains his resurrected body. That's what surprised me. I don't know how I grew up, what I was taught, why I concluded the things I concluded. There was a paragraph that I quoted years ago from this bishop, a fourth century bishop by the name of Gregory Nazianzen. And this is what he wrote. He was pretty adamant about this. And it's almost like, you better believe this, or you, you got problems, okay? Nazianzen wrote, If any assert that he has now put off his holy flesh and that his Godhead is stripped of the body and deny that he is now with his body and will come again with it, let him not see the glory of his coming. Okay? If you deny that Jesus is still in his body, don't, then I hope you don't see the glory of his coming. Kind of what he was saying. He goes on. For where is his body now, if not with him who assumed it? For it is not laid by in the sun, nor was it poured forth into the air and dissolved, as is the nature of a voice or the flow of an odor or the course of a lightning flash that never stands. I remember being surprised to hear that. Jesus is still in his body. The Son of God is still incarnate. He remains the Son of Man in heaven. Six point. Well, because God sent the angel to give Joseph insight into these kingdom events. Joseph satisfied and completes the betrothal process and marries her. Good. She's a great woman. No one compares. Verses 24 and 25 tells us, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph knew what God wanted of him. He now understood. This is all he needed. His household was always going to be about God's household. And now, thankfully, his betrothal would come to fruition. He took Mary, and they cohabitated. They lived together. 
They were married, but he did not know her, which means he did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. Then they had other children. Another thing I learned along the way at some point that I never realized growing up, Jesus had brothers and sisters? Now it's just dumb for Sally. I think we need to understand our role in this life as retainers of the family of God. We are God's servants. Our life's work should be kingdom work. The Son of God has been given the kingdom. He is the family heir to whom we answer. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the one Moses and Elijah lived for and continue to live for. They spoke to him on that mount. He's also the one Peter, James, and John lived for as apostles and continue to live for. Jesus is the one the angels serve and proclaim. Finally, he is the one Mary carried and Joseph would father and train up once he was born. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that uh, we would be good retainers, that we would be dutiful in our work, that all the things that we become involved in in our daily uh, occupations and businesses or whatever it is that we we do as fathers, as mothers, as brothers and sisters, uh, everything, Lord, that it would be with your kingdom in mind, that we are part of your family, that we've attached ourselves to you. And may we be dutiful. 